Oh, there it is. Got it. Just as you got up here. <laughs> good time. Well, good morning. It is so good to be back. I was talking to Sammy earlier, trying to figure out how long it had been since I'd been here. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Tim Powell. I'm at uh, Park Springs Christian Camp and Retreat Center. I've been there for the last three and a half years. And uh, I came here for about three months, I think it was, before Dan came and, and filled in as a pastor. Just uh, had a great time getting to know you guys. And uh, you hold a special place in my heart, just so you know that uh, from the get-go here. I appreciate you having me back. I'm going to share this morning, uh, Dan had talked about uh, giving an update about the camp. or t- talking a little bit about the camp, but also preaching. And, and we're going to try to combine all that together. But, uh, yeah, when I was here, I, I shared a lot with you as far as illustrations, personal illustrations and things like that. But I don't know if I ever really told you a little bit about my family. And uh, I grew up with uh, six brothers and sisters. I'm one of seven. I'm the youngest of seven kids. I got two brothers and four sisters. And uh, my mom was a very godly woman. She took us to church from the time that we were very little. Um, I remember uh, vividly uh, many of the uh, opportunities we had to learn about God, to learn about Christ and his love as we went to church. And, uh, you know, she, um, she was... Um, just really a, a wonderful, wonderful mother, but also a very spiritual lady. And uh, she wanted to make sure that her kids, all seven of them, uh, went to church. And so many times on Sunday morning, she was there getting us all ready, packing us up. And by the way, it's seven in seven years, if you think about that. My oldest brother is seven years older than I am. She did have a set of twins in there, so she took a year off. But uh, otherwise, she was having babies every year. And uh, my dad, on the other hand, was not uh, so much of a godly man. He was actually a very worldly man. He owned a bar. Uh, Very seldom did I see my dad. I would call him an absentee father, which um, I'll bring that in a little bit later in the sermon. But uh, my dad was was just not much of a, um, a father, to be honest with you. And so my view of God was developed by the relationship that I had with my father. And I felt God was distant. That he was uh, this, this being that oversaw everything that I did and wanted to punish me anytime I got out of line. And so that was kind of my view. But anyway, I want to share that with you, just kind of give you a background. Because what I want to do today is share my testimony with you and talk about camp and the impact that camp has had on my life. And as I do that, I want to use Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so the, it's going to be up on the screen, but if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to talk about a a story I think will probably be familiar to you if you've been in the church very long. But uh, let's uh, talk about this. Acts chapter, or Acts, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? 
or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword, Father, that it is, uh, it is something that is very relevant to our lives today. And I pray that as we open up your word, that our hearts will be open and attuned to what you want to teach us through this Bible story that many of us have heard many times. But Father, I pray today that you would use my lips, that you would use my tongue to speak the words that you want spoken and that what we would hear would be from your spirit and it would convict us and it would challenge us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I don't know how long you've been in the church or how many times you've heard this story of the paralyzed man and, and his buddies who decided that they were going to try to get him to Jesus because they understood that he needed to see Jesus in order to be healed. You know, we, I, I suppose this morning we could focus on was it the paralyzed man who initiated this? Was he the one that, hey, hey guys, I've heard about this Jesus, would you take me to him? Or was it the friends that said, hey, we love this guy so much, he has so much to offer, uh, we just want to help him get to Jesus. We can focus upon Jesus himself and the fact that he looked at this man when he was lowered in front of him and looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And the subsequent response of the teachers of the law when they said, listen, who is this man? He's blaspheming. No one can forgive sins but God. You know, if they would have just carried that on to its natural end, they would have been right. They would have been able to understand, well, Jesus is claiming to be God. But this morning, what I want to focus on is I want to focus on the four friends who brought him to Jesus. Now, it says that four of them carried him. There may have been more, but let's just say that there were four. The first thing I want us to see in this process is the love that these friends had for this paralyzed man. When they arrived at his house, at the house where Jesus was teaching, they got there, but there was such a big crowd that they couldn't even get near the house. And the whole purpose of them taking him there was so that he could see Jesus. And I can just imagine one of the guys th you know, th saying out loud, Hey guys, hey guys, I got an idea. Come with me. And so they all climb outside, out, uh, up the, an outside staircase to the roof of this house, and they begin to dig a hole in the man's roof. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, digging a hole in somebody's roof, knowing that somebody's going to have to pay for that. That's going to be a lot. That's going to be. But they didn't care about what it was going to cost. They loved their friend so much, they wanted to get him into the presence of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to ask you, have you had friends like that in your life? People who care about you, people who love you so much, even though they know that it, being a friend with you is going to cost them something. I mean, people that, that, that love you so much that they want to make sure that you get what you need. Has there been someone in your life who went out of their way to make sure that you got exactly what you needed in Jesus? I want you to think for a moment of the person or the people that led you to Christ. The people that brought you to Jesus. And I think that most of us, as we think about that person or we think about those people that brought us to Jesus, we know that deep down in their hearts, they had a love for us. They cared about us. And they wanted us to get what we needed. And they knew that we needed Jesus. I was raised, as I mentioned, um, 
in the church. My mom was made, made sure that we all got there. And, and so I learned many of the lessons uh, in Sunday school and also in church. I heard a lot of sermons over the years. In our church, we didn't divide the kids out and have them go outside. We sat right there, man. And, and uh, there were many times I got slapped in the back of the head because I wasn't behaving. But um, we, I learned a lot of the lessons, a lot of the stories of the Bible because I went to church in Sunday school. I attended church camp from the time that I was just a young man. I remember... Uh, many times going with my mom, even before I was able to go to camp, and we would go up there and cook, and we would help cook for the week, and, and uh, they would take one meal. We would go up, and we would cook breakfast, and we would peel potatoes and stuff for the next meal that came at lunchtime, and I remember very vividly that. I think most people would look at us and look at me in particular and say, you know what? It looks like he's got everything together. He's a good kid, and so I remember all through my life, making sure that church camp was something I did every summer. And I remember in the summer of 1979 going to camp with my friend Mike Sippel. Mike Sippel was a good buddy of mine. We just kind of uh, hung out together throughout the summer, and um, we made sure that every year that we went to camp. And uh, we went to Broadhead Christian Camp in Broadhead, Kentucky. And I just want to tell you, Broadhead Christian Camp was very remote. It was on the top of a mountain. We didn't have... Um, any lights up there except for the lights in the buildings and so it's very dark but uh i remember we had to come down off the mountain to do anything and, and, and i remember many times we would go up there and there was a creek that went there and there was a couple of times that we went up there where it had rained and we couldn't get to the camp and so we had to get out of our car grab our stuff our sleeping bags and our clothes and stuff our suitcases and walk up the creek to where we could find a place to cross and then walk up the mountain to get to the camp but it was such a great camp. It was so remote, and, and uh, you used to call it simply the, the mountaintop experience, and it literally was on top of a mountain. I remember that summer, Mike and I going, and I also remember that summer that there was some news that came to me that was very devastating to our family. In 1979, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Now, that was not the first diagnosis she had received about cancer. In 1972, she had received a diagnosis of having ovarian cancer. And at the UK Medical Center, they were very aggressive and with cobalt radiation. If anybody knows anything about cobalt radiation, uh, that was what they used back then. And it killed everything. I mean, it killed good cells, bad cells, uh, cancer cells, all kinds of cells. It killed everything in the area. And so my mom had cancer in 1972. And I remember right around Christmas time, she made it back home. And from 1972 to 1979, she was cancer-free, or at least in remission. But that year, she was told that she had cancer again. I remember that summer, too, because it was a big summer for me. I was getting ready to change high schools. I was going from a big high school to a smaller high school. And I was going to go and play sports there. And I remember that summer playing baseball with a bunch of guys who went to the new high school. And I got to build a relationship with them. I just couldn't wait to get into the fall so that I could go to this school. We could hang out. We could play sports together. And I was going to play basketball and baseball at this new high school. And um, just look, looking so forward to it. But there was still this thing that was hanging over our family. My mom had cancer. So I started at the new high school and, and getting to know some of the new teachers and, 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 and really just building friendships with all these guys and these gals that I, I'd met. Um, just felt like everything was going very smoothly to me. But not for my mom. She could continue to deteriorate throughout 
uh, the, the, those months leading up to January 26, 1980, when she finally passed away from ovarian cancer. I remember the response that I had at that moment was, God, why? Why would you do this to me? I prayed at that moment for, for my mom to be healed stronger than I prayed for anything else in my life. And I just knew that God was going to agree with me that I needed my mom. I was 16 years old. God, you got to understand, I need her. Why would you take her now? You're going to bring healing to her. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was going to heal her. Ultimately, he did. But my response at that time as an immature child of God was rebellion. So God, that's what you're going to be. I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm done. I remember the next summer, summer of 1980, my friend Mike, he calls me. Hey, Tim, you going to church camp this year? I remember my response. Mike, you know what? I'm not interested at all in going to church camp this year. No, I'm not going to go. But Mike wouldn't give up. He just kept calling me and kept calling. Come on, man, let's go. And I remember one time he called me and said, come on, man. It's not going to be the same without you. Think of all the things that we've done over the years. It's been so much fun, and we've only got a couple years left. And I began to remember the times that we had at camp, and I agreed to go reluctantly. I did not want to go, but I decided to go. And as I went and as camp began, I remember just going through the motions. Went to the classes, participated in the activities. But man, my heart was closed. You want to hear anything that anybody had to say about, about God and how much he loved him? And at the end of camp, the days of camp, we always had a campfire. If you've ever been around a campfire where you're sitting there, you're looking into the flames, you just see the glow of the flames on everybody's faces. Everybody's just kind of sitting around. We're all sitting around just waiting for somebody to come up and lead the singing. And usually there's someone that would give us a, a, a devotion or something at the, at the campfire. And I'm sitting there. I'm looking into the flames, just watching the reflection on everybody's faces. And all of a sudden, everything went black except for the flames. And I felt like God spoke to me in that moment to my heart and said, Tim, if you continue in this act of rebellion, you're heading for the flames of hell. I repented of my rebellion that night. I repented of the anger that I felt toward God. And I remember my sister Linda, who's my oldest sister, my sister Linda was there that week. And we broke up and she was the leader of our family. And I remember she said, listen, I just want everybody, after the, the speaker spoke at the campfire, and I'm still dealing with this whole vision that I felt like I, God gave me. And she said, I just want everybody to lay on your back, and I want you to look up at the stars and just take in the vastness. And again, I told you it was dark on that hill. And I mean, you could see every star. And I'm looking up at the stars, and I just remember how, how much I felt like God was, was, was beyond. You know, I mean, just the majesty of God. I felt the majesty of God at that moment. And I prayed that God would please forgive me. And he did. I remember that night, my, my sister's prayer. And it started with a very simple, humble father. That's all she said was father. That, that's how she began the prayer. And at that moment, I felt drawn to a father. She had the same father I did. And I thought, how can she address a father that gentle? And so at that moment... When she said that, I began to see God as a loving father who took my mother, not as a punishment to me, but because of his immense love for her. So as you can tell, my testimony begins 
on the top of a mountain at a church camp where God spoke to my heart and said, Tim, you're in an act of rebellion. You need to come back to your father who loves you. So when I ask you if you've had people who in your life who have loved you enough to tell you about Jesus or to tell you what maybe you didn't want to hear or to, to give up something of their own or to something that was going to cost them, I have. My friend Mike and my sister Linda brought me back to the father that I needed to come back to. And I thank them for giving up whatever they gave up to make sure that I got what I needed. The next thing I want you to see in the story of these men who brought this paralyzed man to Jesus is how much they understood as far as what they needed to do to get this man to Jesus. They understood this is the only hope that this man has. Although there were obstacles in their way, they did not let these obstacles deter them. They made sure that they got their friend to Jesus, even if it meant, hey, we're going to tear a hole in the roof, we're going to lower him in front of Jesus, we're going to do whatever it takes. to get. They recognized the only thing that would save this man or bring this man healing was get him in front of Jesus. And I wonder today, do we realize how important it is that we get people to Jesus? Do we understand that the only hope for this world, the only hope for our young people, the only hope for anybody outside of Christ is that they might come to Jesus? I mean, I see parents going out of their way to make sure that their kids get to do so many different things. And listen, I'm all for karate classes and dance classes and, and um, travel teams and all those different things. But I see parents taking on second jobs. I see them doing all these things so that their kids can do what they want, them, what they want to do. And they go out of their way to make sure that they're able to do that. But how willing are we to go out of our way to make sure that we get young people and people who don't know Christ into his presence? You know, and I think back over my life and I just see so many people that understood so much more than I did. They understood that I needed Jesus more than anything else. And while I was concerned about me, I was concerned about my life and what I thought I needed and yet, they're trying to speak truth into my life. They're trying to speak life into me, telling me that I needed Jesus. And I, I just wasn't open. I was selfish. I wanted things for myself. I remember one time, a, um, our youth leader asking us, and I, I'm one of seven, and so we pretty much made up the youth group. But anyway, uh, we had a couple other families who were involved in that, but there's seven of us, and we're in this youth group. I'm the youngest, and I'm young by far, by anybody else. So... The youth group was all kind of together. So we would all do these things together. And I remember one night the youth leader asking us, so what is it you would like to do with your life? I was never the last one, although I was the youngest, I was never the last one to answer. I was pretty quick to answer. And so two or three people answered, said this is what they want to do. And they say, he asked, she asked me, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I want to be a professional baseball player. Yeah, that's, that was my goal. I wanted to play baseball for, for the rest of my life. And she looked at me, and I'll never forget her response. She said, you know, we need Christians in professional sports, too. I wasn't thinking about that. But she helped me realize that night that the first and foremost, the thing that I needed to make sure is that I had a relationship with Jesus. My career and everything else would take care of itself later as long as I made him number one. Another person that comes to mind when I think about people who went out of their way to make sure that I got to where Jesus needed me to be, was the senior minister of the church that I grew up in. His name was Steve Ford. Steve Ford saw me withdraw 
from the church and from God. And he saw me come back and he knew that I needed encouragement to get involved with, with Jesus again. And so Steve was a Johnson Bible College graduate. And Steve wanted more than anything else for me to choose to go to Johnson Bible College. And so I remember the last summer that I was going to, uh, to camp, church camp. It was my uh, senior year. I'm, I'm getting ready to, to, I've you know already graduated, getting ready to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. And Steve invited Doug Carnes. Now, Doug Carnes was the basketball coach at Johnson Bible College. And Steve was the dean of that week. And he invited him to come so that he and I would build a relationship and that I would choose to go to Johnson Bible College. That was his, his goal. Well, that week at camp, the summer of 19. A, uh, 1981, um, I felt God calling me to go to Bible college. And so, so I remember Steve packing me up and driving me down to Knoxville, Tennessee. And we got to, down to Knoxville, Tennessee and drove on to the campus of Johnson Bible College. What a gorgeous campus it is. We went there. I got introduced to some of the professors. I saw Doug Carnes there again. Uh, I walked around the campus. He showed me a, a dorm room and stuff like that. And I walked away from that and just felt like, you know what? I, I still feel like God's leading me, but I don't know if it's here. He also took me to Kentucky Christian College. And when I got there, I felt like that was the place I was supposed to be. So I enrolled into college in 1981, going to Kentucky Christian College. That, that year went by really quick. I got into the next summer. I moved, uh, went down to Texas with a friend of mine. We worked at a lumber company so that I could make enough money to come back and pay my bills so that I go back to college for my sophomore year. My sophomore year, I was approached by one of the professors and asked if I wanted to be... man I want to be a recruiter for the college that year we traveled to all kinds of different churches and different church camps and this is the summer of 1983 and I remember going to several different churches and a couple of church camps that really stood out to me one of the camps that we went to in 1983 was Park Springs Christian Camp and I remember being there and I remember the facilities I remember the lake I remember the canoes I remember that there was another group from Johnson Bible College there and we spent a week there in middle with middle schoolers and, and, and I just I mean it really stands out to me one of the other reasons it stood out to me is because our van broke down and uh, we had to have the manager at the time who was Tom Lawson we had to have him fix our van before we could leave and uh, anyway he got it done and we were able to go Another camp that stood out to me was a camp in McCoy, Virginia, and the name of that camp was Blue Ridge Christian Camp. This one stands out to me for a couple reasons. Number one is we were late. We were supposed to have a concert. I think the concert was supposed to be at 7 o'clock, and the group I was with called Saints Alive. And we were late. We were new. We were late. Man, we were on these back roads. We were flying, uh, just trying to get there. I'm driving the van pulling all the equipment in a trailer. There's a station wagon in front of me, and my roommate is, is driving that one, and we're just flying, and we come up. I pop up over a hill. I'm a little bit behind. Pop up over a hill, go, and there's a hairpin curve. I'm just a curve right after it, and I look over the left, and there's the station wagon head on into a, tr a tree. And I jump out, run over. My, my roommate's coming out holding his ribs, and everybody's got bumps and bruises, but everybody's okay. So everybody piles into the van, and we go to go to the camp and by the time we get there we're, we're really late and they said listen we're going to put it off let you guys settle down we'll have the concert later tonight so we came back later we did the concert at the end of the concert i got up and spoke and uh, gave uh, gave a sermon 
and I made an invitation and stuff, and, and I remember nobody came forward. I'm thinking, well, you know, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I don't take that personal. But um, afterwards, it was really late, and I remember the leader saying, listen, guys, I want you to go to your families, have your prayer time, and then everybody go to the cabins. So we're just sitting around, and um, I remember these, these kids, there were three or four of them that came up to me and said, listen, can we talk to you? And I said, well, you know, they just told you guys to go to your dorms, but let's find out if it's okay. And I asked, is it okay? Yes, it's okay. So we went and found a quiet place for these kids to be able to talk to me. And I remember the spokesman for this group said, listen, after your sermon tonight, we started talking about our home lives. And we realized that all of us have a problem with drinking. Again, this is middle schoolers. Immediately I thought, that's pretty clever. They've asked you to go to bed, and you're just, you came up with an excuse, didn't you? I mean, initially that's what I thought. Shame on me, right? But then I started thinking, all right, as they told me the story, I'm thinking about these questions. So I started asking them questions. One of the questions I asked them was, okay, guys, you're 12 and 13 years old, right? Yeah. How are you getting alcohol? That was my question. How are you getting alcohol? I remember a couple of the responses. One of them was, listen, my dad taught me how to make mixed drinks. And he'll tell me, hey, go get me a, and he'll, he'll name the mixed drink he wants me to have. And I will go and make him one. And every time I bring him one back, he asks me, how much do I have left? Because I always tell him that he's got less so that I can go make myself one. Another one said, listen, I've got an uncle. Anytime I want alcohol, I call him and say, hey, my friends and I are getting together Friday night. Will you get us some alcohol? And it was there. When I heard that, my heart broke for these kids. I'm like, you know, if you follow this path, if you go down the path that alcohol is going to leave you, it's going to be devastating to you. And I made a decision at that moment that if God could use me, I was going to commit my life to make a difference in the lives of these young people. Because I wanted to tell them about Jesus. Because I knew the route that alcohol would take them. My dad was an alcoholic. God called me into the ministry at a church camp in McCoy, Virginia. I consider Ken Beck, he's the professor that came to me and asked me if I want to be a recruiter for the school. I consider him a, a friend who God used to get me to a place where I could hear the voice of God. To call me into youth ministry. I went back to KCC that, that, that fall. And I said, listen, I need to take classes that are going to help me be a youth minister. And I enrolled in classes that would help me be a youth minister. I graduated in 1985. I took a youth ministry down in Charlotte, North Carolina at Idlewild Christian Church. And I was there for four and a half years as youth minister. And the years that I was youth minister at that church, I drove my kids two and a half hours to Park Springs Christian Camp. Years 1996 or 86 through 1990. I brought my kids all the way up here to Park Springs Christian Camp. I did that because camp had made such an impact in my life, and I wanted it to make an impact in the lives of the kids that I was involved in. But I also had a philosophy of ministry. My philosophy of ministry was this. We had youth group on Sunday night, one hour on Sunday night. If they came to every youth group, I got 52 hours with these kids. Those parents expected me to build a relationship with them, and teach them Bible truths in one hour for 52 weeks. That's 52 hours. I knew that if I could get them to come to camp, 
I got 52 hours with them in three days. I brought them to camp. And I have to tell you that the, the, the kids that came to camp, the youth that came to camp, I built deeper relationship with them. I was able to, to build into them. I, they told me more. I was able to help them more. I was able to have common experiences with them to, to call back to say, remember what they said at camp? You know, I, I was able to do that with these kids, and that was my philosophy. I remember Zach Hollyfield, he was a youth minister over at Park Springs Church of Christ, which is now Park Springs Christian Church, just right around the corner here. But I remember he was here back in 2000, back at the camp in 2019. I re remember looking across the way. He's sitting at a picnic table over by the swing set. I'm sitting in front of the, in the gym looking over, and I see him bow his head, and he's got his arm around this guy, and he's praying for this young man. And uh, as soon as they, they finish, the young man gets up and starts walking toward the cabin, obviously emotional. Zach gets up, gathers his stuff, wiping tears from his eye. And he looks over at me and catches my eye, and he says, I'm bringing my, camp, my kids to camp every year because what just happened here does not happen at CIY or CCYC. See, he had gone to a different level with those kid, with that kid. He had, he had gone to a whole different level with him simply because he brought him to camp and they were able to have some time together. Listen, camp is a great place for people to spend quality time with their youth leaders and to build an intimacy that goes much deeper than what can be experienced by just attending youth group. It has an atmosphere of love and acceptance with an emphasis on experiencing the love of Jesus. It's a place where many people have met Jesus, where many have been baptized into Christ, where many have come back to Christ after wandering from him. I know that this is true for many others. Because every church I go to, there are people that come up to me and say, hey, you know what, my kids used to go to that camp. Or I used to go to that camp. Um, and I wonder why uh, have you, has it been so long? And I wonder in my own heart and my mind, is camp as relevant as it used to be? And if not, why not? And I believe it begins by simply realizing that, listen, the number one need of our kids in today's society is Jesus. And we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that they're able to meet Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, Satan is doing everything he can to make sure that they don't meet Jesus. And if we can do everything we can to say, listen... I, you know, I, it wasn't a choice for me in many cases. That, that last year when my, my friend was trying to get me to go and I didn't want to go, but I did, it was my choice whether I wanted to go to camp. But a lot of years it wasn't my choice. It was like, Mom, you're going to camp. You're not spending all summer here in the house. You know, we, had, we, we lived on a farm. We had things to do. But she didn't want me there. She wanted me to go to camp. And I think the reason why is because she understood you're going to hear the voice of God if you go to a place like that. Listen, camp is not the only place that kids are hearing from God. But I'm telling you, I believe that it is the place that young people are making the decision to go into full-time ministry. And we've got a lot of young people who are choosing other things other than full-time ministry. And listen, the next generation needs some godly leaders that will stand up and say, listen, I'm going to take this by the bull, the bull by the horns, and I'm going to lead. I'm going to be the one. The last thing I want you to see from this story is this. Think of the story. Think of the testimony. We sang just a little while ago that, we, that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. This is a passage in, in Revelation. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of their testimony. Listen, there is power in your testimony. Imagine the testimony of this, this, lame, or this uh, paralyzed man. Can you just imagine. Let me role play just for a minute. Listen, I was paralyzed. I couldn't go anywhere. Any time I wanted to go anywhere, I had to have the help of somebody else to help me do that. I couldn't get to where I needed to be. I had to rely on other people. Can you imagine that? 
I, I had to rely. But one day, I'd heard about this man named Jesus. He was going through the area, and he was healing the sick. He was giving sight to the blind, and I'd even heard that he had given certain people life back. They had, he had resurrected them from the grave. And I just knew, listen, I'm paralyzed. I need, I need him. I, I believe that he can heal me. And so I had some friends that came by one day, and they decided that they were going to carry me on my mat. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, stuck here on this mat, but they decided they were going to carry me to Jesus. And when we got there, man, our hearts just went down into our chest because we we're like, oh, no, we can't get in because there's so many. But one of my friends just thought of this way. He's like, man, come on, let's go, guys. Let's go up on the roof. And I'm like, where are we going up on the roof? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And they began to lower me. And when I got in front of Jesus, he looked at me and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And man, immediately this weight, this burden was lifted off me. And he looked at me and said, pick up your mat and walk. Do you understand? I hadn't been able to walk in years. But as I obeyed, as I began to try to get up, strength came into my legs. I stood up on my feet. I reached down, rode up my mat, and walked out in front of all of them. And ever since that day, I've been telling the, the, the glory of Jesus that he healed me. Oh, the glory. Oh, what a story to tell. Oh, what great change he has brought into my life. The transformation that he has brought into my life. Since Jesus came to, into my life, I have really changed. I'm no longer confined to my mat because I'm healed. I'm no longer carrying the guilt of burden of sin because when he looked at me that day, he told me my sins were forgiven. I'm now an ambassador for Christ. And I want to tell everyone that I come in contact with what a difference he's made in my life. As you can see, my testimony is unlike the paralytic. But anyway, any, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the same. There's a dead end in my life until Jesus filled the void, until Jesus came in. I'd rebelled against him, but he called me back in 19, um, 1980. He called me back. Brought me back to the father that loved me. 1981 at church camp. And then at 1981 at church camp, I made the decision that I was going to go to Bible college. In 1983 at church camp, I made the decision that I was going to go into youth ministry. In the early years of my ministry as a youth minister, church camp played an important role in me building relationships with all those kids. I believe that God has gone full circle with me. Listen, I've been down in Charlotte for 33 years ministering down there. I've been a youth minister, an associate minister. I've been the lead minister, the senior minister. I've been um, a lead pastor. I've been associate pastor. I've, been, I've held all these positions. I've been a counselor um, and, and, um, and, and a pastor on staff at a, at a um, benevolent ministry. So I've held all these positions, but God has brought me back to my roots. And my roots were with young people, trying to make sure... That they, that they understood the importance of having a relationship with Jesus. Because I go to great lengths to make the camp a place where kids can come and meet Jesus. We've had people from this, this church. Um, I heard Noelle might be online right now listening to what we're saying. You ought to ask her her testimony. Because I use that scripture that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of the testimony with the people that come and work with me. And I forced them to tell me their testimony. 
I say force because, you know, the, when they first get there, they're not real apt, but the first thing I do is, okay, guys, let's jump in. I want to hear your testimony because you've got power in your testimony. I share mine first, but I want to hear the power of their testimony. And, and Noel's is pretty powerful, and right in the middle of it is church camp and what it meant to her. We had the Martin kids there this summer, you know, attending camp, and I, and I, and I hope that it meant something to them. I, I know they had a good time. I know that, that much. I know they had a real good time. Uh, there with about 100 kids this past summer. But I want us to understand from this story that the man who was paralyzed would not have the testimony he needs to tell if it wasn't for the four guys who carried their, his mat to get him to Jesus. And I believe that many of the churches and many of the people that are supporting the camp, I see you as those four friends. I see you as helping us to be able to present to these kids the love of Jesus. And I'm just here to tell you that every year that the camp doors have been open, and obviously we weren't able to open in 2020, but every year that the camp doors are open and we have kids on that campus, kids are making decisions to follow Jesus Christ. Some of them for the very first time. They've been baptized in the pool. Some of them I've even heard have been baptized in the lake. Let me tell you real quick. We had a guy, I ordered some lumber from Lowe's and had it delivered. And we were building this walkway in between the kitchen and the dining hall. And so this guy drives up and he's backing up his truck. And I say, hey, man, you, just, you, know, you can park right here. And, but I want the lumber over there. I know you can't get over there with your truck, but he had a forklift and all that. But anyway, long story short, he pulls up and he gets out of his truck and he looks over and he goes, I got baptized in that lake. I'm like, you did? He goes, yeah. He goes, I used to come to this camp years and years ago. And this guy, I don't know, he's probably in his late 30s, maybe early 40s. I said, well, praise the Lord. I said, are you still following Christ? Yeah. You know, and just a connection that God gave me to say, hey, listen, Tim, I'm still working. I worked in this camp years and years ago, but I'm still working. I want to make, uh, make this camp be a different, uh, make, difference maker in the lives of young people. But young people are still making decisions. As I mentioned, I think the one place, and I don't know if we had any this year, but in 2018 and 2019, we had people who were making decisions to go into full-time Christian service. Every year, somebody's giving their life to Christ. We have baptisms this year. And I want to tell you one, and then I'm done. I had a young lady that came and worked for me this summer. Um, Noelle was there, as she has been every year I've been there. We had two other girls that came, and this one girl, I didn't know what to think of her. I really didn't. Um, she was kind of standoffish at first and um, basically answered my question, yes and no. At the end of the summer, she came up to me, and all the kids are gone. All the, all the, you know, our weeks are over with. And she came up to me, and she goes, hey, Tim, would you baptize me? Haven't you already been baptized? She goes, yeah, I was baptized when I was seven years old. I said, well, tell me, tell me about that. Tell me about your baptism. She said, well, my sister was getting baptized, and she was a twin. My sister was getting baptized, and I felt like she was getting baptized, so I needed to, too. Said so, so you wouldn't say that, hey, at that moment I drew a line in the sand and I said, I'm stepping across the line of faith, I'm going to follow Jesus. And she goes, no. She goes, I'm getting ready to go to college and I want to make that decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I said, okay, I'd be happy to baptize you, but let's call your parents. Called her parents, her parents came up. And nobody else there except for my, two, my three workers, myself, my wife, and her parents, and her sister. And we baptized her in the pool up there. Made my summer. 
I said that was the last. Let me give you one more. I hired a cook for the summer. Her name's Joy, and she is a joy. I'm telling you, she is a joy to work with. She's been helping me with retreats and stuff. She still comes back and cooks and stuff. But through that conversation that I had with, with this worker for us, she heard me talking to her. And at the end of the summer, she said, um, I want to talk to you someday about baptism. I said, okay, I'd be happy to talk to you about baptism. But she came back and cooked at a retreat, and we sat down, and we talked for at, at length, and she said, listen, I was born Catholic or raised Catholic. She goes, I was baptized when I was an infant. That, that's her words, not mine, okay? That was her I was baptized when I was an infant. I said, okay. She goes, so I've been involved in the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, and I can't remember what the church she was going to now. I think it's Presbyterian. And I said, okay. I said, so have you ever been fully immersed? been baptized I said no 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 you don't fully immersed for the forgiveness of your sins have you have you done that anyway in our conversation at the end she said I want to be baptized so she came after everybody's gone my wife me and one of her friends named Kim came back and I walked in that pool and it was a little chilly but we walked in that pool just a few weeks ago and I baptized her into Christ she always felt she always told me she goes I am already a child of God I said listen I'm not doubting your child of God. I see your love for him. I said, but this is an act of obedience that God is asking you to do. Let's do it now. Listen, God has presented over and over. I'll just give you mine. To people that are coming to that camp, it is a special place. It's a wonderful place. I'm thankful that Rosebud Christian Church is now supporting the camp. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, that's something we got there got our first check from you guys I'm looking forward to that you've supported me by sending Noel out there to work with me these young people to come to the camp and stuff and I'm thankful for that I'm just thankful that uh, we're in partnership together to impact lives to get people in front of Jesus so that they can get what they need